It's good to see such a good crowd on Wednesday night. This is probably one of the better crowds we've seen in a while. I ask that you pray for me, as I always do. Uh, I've had several things on my mind this week. I didn't know that Brother Tim was going to ask me to preach until this morning. So I hope that the Lord is in what I have on my mind and hope that he blesses it. So pray for me. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Hebrews, the ninth chapter, and I want to read one verse out of Hebrews 9, and that's verse 27. It says this, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. You know, death is something that we all are familiar with. And just this past week, we lost uh, Brother Tibbs, Brother Brian Sparks' mother, Brother Marlon's uncle. It's just, you know, death is a common part of life, if you'll let me say it that way. And... Death is one of those things, according to the Bible here, that is an inescapable appointment. As I've said many times before, and I'm sure not trying to grind an axe, but you may have an appointment at my dental office, and you may or may not make that. But here is an appointment that you cannot escape. Here's an appointment that you can't forget. You can't get busy and miss it. Now, this appointment, and if you let me say it this way, This appointment that you have with death was not necessarily made by God. I think of it this way. Really, this appointment that is made for death was really made by Satan and the temptation and the sin that we have in our lives. Right. Way back in the Garden of Eden, uh, the Lord tells Adam that, you know, the day that you eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt surely die. And so he went and ate that fruit and the sin that came along with that set an appointment for him that his, his body would begin to decay and his, you know, his hair would turn gray. Maybe it would fall out and his joints would start to ache and his muscles would get weak. And eventually death would meet him for this appointment, right? It's an inescapable appointment that we all have. And sometimes death may seem very, a very far, uh, an idea that's very far away, that's way on down the road for us. And I'm sure as you get older, you know, I imagine that the 85-year-old may think a little more, a little more about death than the 15-year-old. But I have found in my life that time goes by super fast, really fast. You know, I. Uh, at times it seems like yesterday, you know, I was a little boy playing with my brother running around and before you know it, you know, I'm in high school and you're playing sports. And the next thing you know, you're in college and, you know, you're getting married and then you have kids and it just it just it just flies by. I'm sure some of you older people would say you don't know anything yet. Right. But it just seems that, you know, I look at the kids sometimes. I'm like, what happened? You know, I mean, you know, Emma's our oldest 13. Like, How can you be 13? It just flies by. Right. And in the same way, if there's no tragedy or anything like that, and the Lord tarries and we're able to live a long life, that I will be looking at my appointment before you know it, right? And I'm not saying that we need to dwell on death by any, any stretch of the imagination, but any time a child of God thinks about death, it certainly should lead their thoughts into the resurrection and the hope of eternal life. So it shouldn't just end in death. And, you know, death uh, better is the day of one's death than the day of one's birth. You know, we should uh, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints. It shouldn't be something that we fear, but it is a reality for us. Right. What's interesting about this verse is it says as a point as it is appointed unto men once to die. And then comes something else. And it says, but after this, the judgment. Now. 
I've heard preachers in, in different denominations preach this in different ways. It would be easy for me to take this verse and if you guys didn't know your Bible and scare you to death, right? I could paint a picture, hopefully, uh, with my imagination of, of, of a, such a terrible hell and the judgment that would come for uh, certain people that I'd, I'd, I'd have you leaving out of here uh, feeling like you just watched a horror movie. Just an uneasy, uh, very non-peaceful feeling, right? The judgment of God. And so the Bible says that we will die. It will be upon us before we know it. And then after that, there's something that we have to deal with, and that's the judgment. What judgment are we talking about? The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? And the Bible also tells us that the wages of sin is death. You see, God is a holy God. And God is a God who uh, detests and absolutely hates the sin that we have in our life. And God is a God who will not let sin go unpunished. He will not. He, he will absolutely require the sin of a person uh, to be paid for to enter into his holy presence. Are you with me? Now, this is the question. If we're going to die and we're going to stand before God in judgment, even if that seems like a fairy tale to you right now, it is going to happen according to the word of God, where we will stand before God one day. And the question is, if the if the the sins that we commit have a price tag on them. And they do. If the sins that we commit have a price tag on them and that price tag, the Bible tells us, is the wrath of God. How are we going to pay that price? Now. In, in my time before Primitive Baptist, I had a very different belief uh, about what we're talking about tonight, about how that price would get paid. And I thought. Uh, you know, there were certain things a person had to do to pay that price. And I would go visit with people or, or I can remember one particular time I, I went to uh, Brother Neil. I was over there close to Glen Iris Church and all those little houses around there. It was one day in dental school when I had some spare time. So I just went over towards Glen Iris and started knocking on doors. You know, I knocked on a lady's door over there and, and uh, I had a friend of mine with me and, and she invited me in. And she was a little bit of an older lady. And uh, I began to talk to her and, you know, in, in, uh, in my ignorance, I guess I, I would say that in my ignorance and in my uh, misguided understanding, I sat down with her and I began to talk to her about the Lord. And I talked to her about the things I've talked to you uh, with you about tonight that, hey, there's coming a time uh, when we're going to die and, you know, we're going to stand before the Lord and, and all this, that and the other. And and she was just, yes, I agree, I agree, I agree. And uh, I said, well, uh, you know, based on what you believe, why is it that you will be able to enter into God's presence and in a, into an eternal glory with him and claim that your sins have been paid for? You know, on what basis are you going to say the price tag for my sins have been paid? And I thought it was very interesting. This lady come to find out she was a Jewish lady and she had spent most of her life in Jerusalem. And she said, uh, this was exactly her answer. She said, I'm going to be there 
And in so many words, my price tag has been paid because I have walked the very streets that Jesus walked. And she, I mean, I mean, you weren't going to turn her from that. She was adamant that her hope of eternal life was based on the price tag being paid because she had walked the streets that Jesus walked because she was from the area that he had been many times. I have talked to other people that would tell me my price tag is going to be paid because I pray. People have told me my price tag is going to be paid because um, I go to church. And if you ever ask somebody what I have found in my experience doing those things, most of the time when you ask, ask somebody what basis is your price tag of your sin going to be paid, most of them really don't have an answer. They just kind of stammering around and they always, always go to the things that they have done. I walk the streets of Jerusalem. I pray. I go to church. You may hear this one. Well, I believe. Well, I repented. I confessed. It always goes back to something that they have done. Now, that's my experience with it. I want to read to you a verse in the book of Ephesians. And I hope you're following me here. And I hope I'm not oversimplifying it. And I hope I'm not making it too complicated. But sometimes it's important that we just look at these basic things from a very simple perspective. We call the price tag of being uh, your sins being paid for. We call the payment of that salvation. Do we not? We call it eternal salvation. Let me say that. When, when somebody's uh, price for their sins has been paid, we call that eternal salvation. We call it being saved. Now, this is not my subject, but when you read through the Bible, just because you come across the word saved does not mean it's talking about that price tag. You can be saved from a million and one different things in this life, right? There are people who have died with lung cancer that could have been saved from that if they had quit smoking, right? Uh, there have been marriages that, could have, that have been destroyed that could have been saved if they would have stayed away from pornography, right? So you can be saved from a million and one different things in this life. And it's important when you read the Bible that you understand that every time you hear the word saved, you've got to ask yourself, is that being saved from something in this life or is that being saved from my sins and having the price tag of my sins paid for? Now, in Ephesians, the second chapter, I want to read verse eight and nine here. And I want to take a few minutes to look at how is that price tag paid? In verse 8, it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. That's not through your faith. That's through the faithfulness of Christ. Look it up. Don't take my word for it. For by grace are ye saved through the faithfulness of Christ to do the work his Father gave him to do. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. How do I know that's not your faith? Because it just told me. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, here the Bible tells us that this eternal salvation, this payment for those sins that you've committed is an act of grace, right? It's an act of grace. Now, again, when you read through the Bible, uh, th think about this for just a second. If I ask you to define the word sound, 
you immediately probably come up with a certain definition and it probably for most people is uh you know vibrations that you can hear right the sound of my voice that just means my voice is making vibrations and you can hear them but you know the word sound has many definitions Right. Uh, you know, sound means in good condition. You could say, hey, I've got a sound horse. That means he's in good condition. You could give uh, a definition that something, you know, something that is based on reason. That's sound advice. Right. Brother Jim, I'm probably going to butcher this up, but I believe that testing the depths of the water is also called sounding. You can sound the depth of the water if I'm saying that correctly. Sound can mean to question some, somebody. Sound can mean uh, something that is severe. Sound can mean many different things. And so can grace. Right. right? And so when you read through the Bibles, if I could ever give anybody a tip on studying your Bible, it would be to get you a Strong's Concordance or get one on your phone. And look up the definitions of the words because you may find the word grace over here and it have an entirely different meaning than the word grace over here. For example, sometimes the word grace means favor. Uh, you will know, you will find in Genesis, the sixth chapter that Noah found what? Grace in the sight of the Lord. Why did Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord? Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord because Noah was a righteous and just man in the midst of a nation that had almost nobody else. And he found favor in the sight of God. Paul says, or, or the Lord says to Paul, he says, my grace is sufficient for thee. The word grace there means just a measure of power given to somebody. And, and the Lord tells Paul, hey, the power that I will bestow upon you to help you rise above this thorn in the, fret, the flesh is sufficient. So grace can have, I can't remember how many there were, but there were a bunch of them. Well, the word grace in Ephesians, the second chapter in the eighth verse, I wrote it down. It's the unmerited favor of God exerting his divine influence on an undeserving individual. Are you with me? The unmerited favor of God exerting his divine influence on an undeserving individual. Let me read that verse like this if I can do it without getting tongue tied. For by the unmerited favor of God exerting his divine influence on you, you are saved. That makes sense. I hope that wasn't sacrilegious, but I wanted it to come together. All right. I'll read it one more time just in case you weren't listening. For by the unmerited favor of God exerting his divine influence on ye, ye are saved. Now, that's the definition there. Now, let's go over to, um, I believe it's Romans, the fourth chapter. Let me do Romans, the 11th chapter first. I want you to listen real close to me right here. <clears throat> I'm going to read a couple verses in the, in the book of Romans, and I want you to really pay attention. Let me start in chapter four. <clears throat> Romans 4, verse 4. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. And then in Romans, the 11th chapter, in verse 6, it says this. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace 
But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. What's the conclusion of those two verses? It is an impossibility for grace in the sense that Ephesians is talking about and works to mix. They cannot coincide with one another. If anything in this world repels one another to the fullest extent, it is grace and works. So, and the Bible even confirms that. It says, if you've got grace, you cannot have the presence of works. And if you've got works, you cannot have the presence of grace. All right? Now, the Bible also tells us in Ephesians there, in the second chapter in verse 8 and 9, that I read... That not only does it say it's grace, unmerited favor, that saves us. It makes a point to, to point out that it is not of works. In case there was any confusion that works and grace could be combined in there. Somebody told me the other day, she said, you know, uh, I see what you primitive Baptists are saying about grace. But I also see the way that, you know, uh, maybe uh, somebody that believed in a, a choice by man over here. You know, Hank asked me the other day, he said, Dad, what is the difference between uh, primitive Baptists and most all these other churches that we ride by? And I said, well, son, the primary difference is we believe we will be in heaven because God chose us. Most people believe they'll be in heaven because they chose God. Right. And what I'm trying to point out to you here is the Bible leaves no room for interpretation, no room for error in thinking that grace and works can combine. It's either works or it's grace. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, so just hang on with me. Now, the Bible tells us by the deeds of the law, Deeds, D-E-E-D-S. By the deeds of the law shall no man be justified in his sight, in God's sight. So I want you to picture this. I want you to picture the lady that I talked about earlier. Boom, her appointment comes. And what comes after the appointment? Judgment. And here this lady stands before God, a righteous God, a holy God, who says sin has to be either paid for or sin has to be punished. One or the other. And the Lord looks at her, the great judge, and says, on what basis have your sins been paid for? Oh, I walked the streets of Jerusalem. I walked where Jesus walked. According to the Bible, salvation is not based on works. Walking is a work. If you don't believe me, go out here to my house and back and you'll be dripping with sweat before you get back. It's a work. Right? Walking is a work. Walking is something that you have to do. Now, hold on to me here. I want to show you some things. I, this, this came to me this afternoon. It's the simplest thing I've ever seen in my life. I'm sure every preacher has always known it and always figured it out. But it just came to me this afternoon. And it is undeniable. The only way to deny this is to deny the word of God. Do you know that some people will say this? <clears throat> why am I going? Why my sins been paid for? Well, I walked the streets of Jerusalem. <clears throat> Wrong. Well, I've repented of my sins. Do you know that Jesus 
says this, and John the Baptist also says it. <clears throat> it says, repent ye, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Can anybody tell me what part of grammar the word repent is? It's a verb. Look it up in the Strong's that I just told you about. Everybody's been through English. What is a verb? What is the definition of a verb? Something that requires action. Look it up. The word repent in the Greek is a verb. Meaning repenting requires your action. Your work. Do you know what the definition of works is? Where it says, not of works, lest any man should boast. you know what the definition of works is there? An action. All right, bam, my appointment's come. I stand before God and God says, on what basis are your sins paid for? Lord, I have repented. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Right? Lord... John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Bam! My appointment comes. Lord, I believed. I give you one guess. One guess on what part of grammar believe is right there. It's a verb. And there are no other options. You can't scroll down and look at the definitions and be like verb, noun, adjective, adverb. It's verb. I don't care how you turn it, how you polish it, how you shine it. It is a verb meaning that your belief is an action. Lord, I believed it's not of works lest any man should boast. Lord, I have confessed. Let me show you what, uh, if I can flip over there real quick. You just hold where you're at. Philippians 2.11. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What do sometimes people tell you you've got to do to be saved and have that price tag paid for? They'll tell you repent. Doesn't pass the test. They'll tell you believe. It doesn't pass the test. The grammar test. Confess. I give you one guess. It's a verb. And it always ever will be a verb. Brothers and sisters, you need to repent. You need to confess. You need to believe. Because there's a great deliverance from things in this life if you will do those things. But you cannot take those things before the Lord God Almighty in heaven and say, here is my receipt proving that my sins have been paid for. Because he's going to say, Those were actions, and my word says it is not of works, lest any man should boast. But boy, there's a lot of boasting about a salvation nowadays. Let me tell you, I repented, I believe, I confessed, I got baptized. Anybody want to guess what the grammar of of baptize is? Verb. It's a verb. Is there anything more simple than that, Brother Tim, Brother Neil? You can't deny the grammar of the Bible. If anybody ever tells me believing, repenting, confessing, accepting baptism are not works, I'm going to say then the Bible is incorrect because that says they're verbs and require an action. 
And God said, there is no action on man that can pay for his sins. Now, where am I going? What did Ephesians say? Ephesians said this, for by grace. Let me read it again. By the unmerited favor of God, exerting his divine influence on an undeserving individual, you are saved. Now, that might be hard for you to wrap your mind around if you've never heard such things. If it is, I would love to. Brother Tim would love to. Brother Neil would love to. Talk to you more about that. Because I know it's hard to wrap your minds around it. But listen, when your time comes and your appointment is there and you stand before God and he says, on what basis are your sins paid for? The only answer that you can give is grace. Is that God looked down through time at my pitiful, pitiful existence. And he said, there is no way. That this man can crawl out of the pit he is in, not even if I reveal myself to him, offer it to him. He can't get out of it unless I overpower his sinful, wicked nature, make him my own, choose him to be mine own and send my son to pay that price for his sins. That's the only way they'll ever stand before me justified. And that's what he did. The Bible tells us that, and I don't have time to go into all that tonight, but that's how we stand before the Lord, holy and justified. And in my own mind, this is how I picture a filthy, rotten Luke Hagler. And let me say this too. I don't don't fully understand how that's going to go down. I really don't. But I feel like there is some moment of time According to what the Bible says, it it makes me think this. That we have a very good understanding of how sinful we are when we stand before the Lord. I think we will have a very good understanding of all the things we've done that have been an abomination to the Lord. And when the Lord looks at us and says, on what basis? You don't have to say anything. He already knows. That in my mind, I see him just look over here at his son and the nails. And he says, paid for because of grace. You see, the Lord did not come. The Lord, the okay, God did not foreknow a people based on how good they were. Romans nine says that. Romans says before uh, in Romans nine, it says um, uh, before either one, Jacob or Esau had done any good. But according to the uh, that the purpose of purpose of election in God might stand, it says the elder will serve the younger. Jacob, have I loved Esau? Have I hated? Read that. He didn't look down through time based on our works, but in his sovereignty and in ways I don't understand, he looked down and said, I am making a family for myself. But that family is is condemned unclean. They can't stand before me. There's been no price paid for them. And he looks at his son and says, I need you to pay a price. You read through the Gospels about the price that he paid. The ministry of Jesus was rotten. Not that he was rotten, but I'm talking about the way people received him. It was rotten. 
Like we have these, these grander ideas of, oh, I'm going into the ministry and I'm going to be a preacher and people are going to fall all over me and I'm going to make you know $300,000 a year and I'm going to have all the blah, 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 blah. That was not the ministry of Jesus. It says he was despised and rejected of men. It says he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He left the holy a realm of heaven and came down here where it's hot, where it rains, where people spit on you, where people cuss at you, where people throw things at you, where people crown you with thorns and, and, and just tear the flesh from your skin and nail you to a cross. That's what he endured. Why? Because a price had to be paid. You know, when the Bible talks about him paying the price and the, his relationship to the church, it says he purchased the church of God. What's that mean? He paid a price for it. And that price, the Bible says, was his blood. So the Lord, God, looks at uh, his son and says, I need you to pay that price. And he set his face like flint. And he was determined. And he endured the cross. And he despised the shame. And he paid that price. And the Bible says he offered himself once to God. And the price was paid for so here's the last question I got to bring up before we close. A common question that you'll get if you presented this to somebody is this. <clears throat> All right, I hear what you're saying. Walking streets of Jerusalem to get you nowhere and, and uh, getting the price paid. Repenting gets you nowhere. Belief gets you nowhere. Confession gets you nowhere in an eternal sense. Accepting baptism, it gets you nowhere. And you're telling me that when I stand before the Lord and the Lord looks at Jesus and says, my sins are paid for that. I can't fit myself into that equation. So is it does it just happen? Yes. That's the best way I know to explain it. Then how this is the question you get. Then how do I know if I am a recipient of that grace? Listen real close. Everybody that has ever wanted to be a recipient of it already has it. Amen. Everyone that ever has ever wanted to be born again already has been born again. Everybody that has ever wanted to stand before the Lord holy and without blame before him in love has already been a recipient of grace. Amen. There is not a person in this world. I don't care if you're in the jungles of some far land. I don't care if you're an Eskimo in Antarctica that's never seen uh, five other people in this world and has never heard the gospel. If the grace of God was set upon you before the foundation of the world, you are his. Amen. And that, what's tragic about this is what's tragic. Is there are people that would say, oh, my poor father is now dead. He's dead and he's gone and he never got to walk the streets of Jerusalem. And they live their life mourning thinking their father's in hell. Oh, my son died and I never could get him to confess it. I never could get him to walk down the aisle. I never could get him to repent. I never could get him to do those things. Or my, my daughter is, 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 has a mental challenge and I can't get through to her. Or, or my child died in the womb or died in infancy or whatever. And, and people walk around in great sorrow because people never were able to put verbs into action. But that's not true. Right. No denomination I know of puts more people in heaven than the primitive Baptist. Amen. 
Because we say that old guy in the jungle of Africa that's never heard the gospel, God doesn't need me to get over there and save them. His spirit is not bound. His spirit is not straightened. And his spirit can go over there and put the same spirit it's put in us, the same heart that it's put in us, where those people have the feelings and the love towards a God, even if they don't know his name. And they, and they can love their family. Why? Because as I've told you many times, when a person is born again, God writes those laws in your heart. You know, it's hard for a child of God, unless they've just been numbed by the sin in their life, to get up and smack their wife around and not feel guilty about those things. But you take somebody that's never been born again, they couldn't care less. They look forward to the next time they get to push her around. You see, the Spirit of God is not straightened. And I'll say this, and I'll leave you with this. If there has ever been a feeling in your heart, in your mind, that you've done wrong, and you know that that, that wrong brings you a guilt, praise God. Amen. Because only the Spirit of God would testify to you those things. The Spirit of this world will never, ever tell you that. The Spirit of this world will say, fornicate on, steal on, cheat on, kill on. But the Spirit of God says, oh, child, don't stop it. Feeling guilt over the things that you have done is a wonderful evidence that you're a recipient of that grace and that your price has been paid for. The Bible says, whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes, I do. No need to go any further. Because according according to the authority of the Word of God, that is proof. That you've been a recipient of that grace and your price has been paid for. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Do you have love in your heart? I'm not talking about love for the things of the world. You know, even even the old unregenerate alien sinner, he loves, but he doesn't love the brethren. Do you love each other? Do you just just feel a connection towards each other? Sometimes I think about you guys. And I can't wait to talk to you again. That's an evidence. And sometimes I want to get people and say, listen, I know you're grieved over your dad passing away. And I know that you think he's burning in hell. But let me take you to Galatians, the fifth chapter. Where it talks about love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith and temperance. Are fruits and productions of the Spirit of God. You know, I, I talked to a guy one time back in my days when I was, you know, trying to tell the Jew lady that, you know, I don't know how it works. I talked to a guy. I knocked on his door. He opened the door. This is what he said to me. I was standing there. He was standing on the other side of it. And I kind of did my little spiel. And he kind of cut me off a little bit short, not in an ugly way. But he said, he said, I get God. He said, but I don't get church. And you know, in a way, based on the way the modern day church is, I, I don't know that I misunderstand him as much as I used to. You understand? Yeah. Maybe that guy had more wisdom about the direction the church was going than I had at the time. There's a lot of churches I don't get. But he got God. And I wonder if he had somebody in his family. And I, I'm sure if you, if you talk to him more, he would say, yeah, I believe. Yeah, I believe and I try to do the right thing when I don't, it bothers me. But I wonder if he had somebody in his family say, oh, dad, he's gone. I just never could get him to go to church. 
Now he's in hell. Oh, that's a burden that we ought not have to bear. We ought to rejoice in grace. Right? Now, I hope that that has been profitable to you. I hope that it makes sense. When you stand before the Lord, and if it were to actually work that way, and he say, what's what's been the price for your sins? All you can do is cling to grace. That's all you can do. And no, you didn't have anything to do with it. That's what makes it even better. You know, the Bible says that we are more than conquerors. Right? How can you be more than a conqueror? Is when you didn't have to fight to get the victory. And you didn't have to fight to get that victory. He fought it. He did it. It was a work of grace. And we are solely the beneficiaries of it. That ought to make you want to live right. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your good attention. And I hope that's been beneficial.